and he is worn out. Uh, so a lot of good stuff going on here. Pastor Marissa uh, share a lot of that. Even when she was sharing that kind of exhortation, that word that she shared with you, do you realize that's what, that's what God asked Peter? Jesus, God in the flesh, asked Peter. He said, do you love me? That was his question. Right before Jesus was about to be betrayed and, and crucified, he just asked, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I love you. He said, no, do you love me? He said, yeah, I love you. He said, do you love me? He said, if you love me, then feed my sheep. That, that God is only asking for something he's already given us. God never asks you for something he hadn't already given you. And so when he asks you to respond in love, it's because he's already poured out his love. He loved us first. And to reciprocate that, we just reflect it back. So that was a, a powerful word. Uh, we have a lot of good stuff going on. This is the last week in our Moving Mountains series. Next week, we start a series called The Apostles' Creed. Uh, some of you, depending on your background, know what the Apostles' Creed is. Some of you probably do not. Uh, what it is, is there's a very early creedal statement, which is like the Pledge of Allegiance for the church. Starting in around 100 A.D., it was the teachings of the apostles that kind of summarized so that people could know that because they didn't have the Bible yet, and it's been passed on for 2,000 years as the foundational beliefs of the church. So we're going to walk through that to try to get us all on the same page. And in February, in our prayer meetings, we're going to start teaching a series called NUMA, which is a theology of the Holy Spirit, uh, from now in February through the rest of the, probably the semester. And so make sure you make those a priority. If you have your Bibles, you turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. You know, it's, it's pretty commonplace now, but you know, debit cards are a a very common thing. Even our kids have cash app debit cards. And I remember when I was in the Air Force, we had debit cards. And you couldn't go online. This is 99 to 2003. You couldn't go online and check your account balance. You couldn't, you pull up an app on your phone and, and check your account balance. We didn't have smartphones. We had dumb phones in for the most part. And, and so you couldn't really check those things. And so what you did was in the Air Force, you only got paid on the 15th and the 30th. And your pay literally only lasted until like a week before. So you paid less like a week and you were broke the next week. So you knew it was about to be payday or it was payday because all the people that were drunks, so they would drink all the high-dollar beer and liquor until the first week. And then the second week, they're drinking the cheapest liquor. you got. Pretty much gasoline and bleach is what they'd be drinking. Same thing, they go out to eat as soon as they get paid. And the second week, they're eating ramen noodles in the, in the barracks and all that kind of stuff. And so you'd run on the 15th or the 30th to the ATM machine so you could check your balance to see if your check hits your bank account yet. Right, and so we've all kind of seen or used a debit card, and there's times that people use a debit card, and you'll see that it gets declined. Right, so they'll go to the convenience store, the gas station, and they try to use the card, and it gets declined. And what's amazing is sometimes I've seen people argue, well, no, I have money in my account. And they're embarrassed, like, no, I got, I, got, I got $1,000 in my account. This is only $3. I got more than enough money. This shouldn't be declined. And it's interesting, so they have the card in their hand, and they have money in their account, yet they're not able to use either one of them. They can't use their card, and they can't use their resources. And so they keep trying it over and over and over again, and they'll say, well, is it a new card or is it an old card? They'll say, well, it's a new card. And then they'll ask them, they say, well, have you activated it yet? And they'll be like, well, no, I, f- I forgot to activate it. Well, then you need to call the 1-800 number, you need to go on your app, you need to activate your card, because until you activate it, you may have the card that's connected to the resources you need, but you can't use it because it's not activated yet. Or maybe it's expired and you can't use it because it's out of date. In the same way, your faith is just like a credit card or a debit card. That you may have your faith, and you may have all access to the resources and blessings of heaven, but until you activate it, you cannot use it. Until you activate your faith, you do not connect that card to the resources. And so when you activate your faith, you're connecting your faith 
to heaven to connect the two together to bring what you need into your life to have the promises and blessings of God that you need at the current moment. So some of you, maybe you have faith. God has more than enough resources, but you're frustrated because you feel like you have faith, but you're not seeing your faith move the mountains that you're wanting to see moved. I would argue that maybe you do have faith. Maybe God does have the resources, but maybe it's time to call the 1-800 number and activate your faith. Or maybe some of you have faith. God has the resources, and you keep trying to swipe that card in prayer to try to access God's promises, but what's happened is your faith has expired. And you'll say, well, what are you, what are you saying, Pastor? You're living off the faith of yesterday or a last move of God or the last season of your life. You're living off the faith of your grandmama, your grandpapa, or your mom, or your dad. Well, Pastor, let me talk about my mama. My mama was a good woman. Your mama may be a good woman. She may be a praying, spirit-filled intercessor. But guess what? That doesn't do anything for you. Because until you activate your faith, you do not access your promises and blessings in heaven. And so as we conclude this series, I want you, everyone in this room, to understand that God has given you a measure of faith. But it's up to you to activate it to see God bring what he wants to bring into your life. In Luke chapter 8, you see it this way. It says, Jesus went, the people pressed around him. In verse 43, it says, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Maybe I say fringe. Touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Interesting, she didn't touch Jesus, she didn't touch his hand, she didn't touch his forehead, he didn't touch her. She touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was that that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people, why? She had touched him. And how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, I have healed you. Nope. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's a, it's a story most of us in church would have heard numerous times. This woman suffering with this incredible sickness for 12 long years. 12 years. And it's not just a sickness, you know, she's dealing with that makes her want to cough or sneeze. It's a sickness that literally impacts every single area of her life. Being ceremonially unclean. It's like she has a 12-year-long menstrual cycle. She's ceremonially unclean. She can't come in public forms. That's why she's trembling and scared to actually come to Jesus. She actually crawls on the ground and touches the fringe of his garment besides people's feet. She touches because she knows she can't be seen out in public. She's supposed to be on the outside of the city. Also impacts her, she can't get married because she's ceremonially unclean. No one could actually sleep with her or, or, or have a honeymoon with her because she's ceremonially unclean clean. Therefore, she spent all the money she had, which is all the money she could make because she didn't have a husband to take care of her. Therefore, she's lonely. She's by herself. She didn't have one to help her through her pain and process because she's on the outside with all the lepers and everything else. She also couldn't be touched or touched anybody else because she was ceremonially unclean. Anyone she would touch, they would now be ceremonially unclean. They have to be on the outside of the walls with her. So it's a mind-blowing revelation when Jesus says, who touched me? 
Because any other religious leader, when they found out who she was, they would have been mad and angry because now they'd have to leave their ministry to go sleep and camp out on the outside walls of the city. This woman is desperate. She spent everything she had. She's risking being pretty much stoned for touching other people in this crowd. And she's there, and, and she touches not, not Jesus. She just touches just the hem of his garment. That garment would have been a prayer shawl. Just like this that I actually bought in Israel when I was with Pastor Brian. This prayer shawl. So she didn't touch Jesus per se. She just touched just a little bitty hem, a fringe of his garment. And she pressed through the entire crowd to touch him. Now what's ironic is I'm sure there was tons of people in this crowd that needed to be healed. I'm sure there's plenty of people in this crowd that needed a touch of Jesus. There was all these people, but only one drew power out of Jesus. And it was the one that touched the hem of his garment. In Numbers 15, it talks about this garment, which is actually part of the law. So prayer shawl, or talit is what they call it, is this undergarment that they would wear underneath. In Numbers 15, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to all the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels, the fringe of the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it came and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them and to follow after your own heart and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember all my commandments and be holy to your God for I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. God. This, this garment, God is talking to Moses on Mount Sinai and tells him, I need you to make this garment in a specific way, with certain colors, specific size, with specific uh, illustrations in it, so that the people know and remember who I am, what I've done, and the laws I expect them to obey. And so if you'll throw up that graphic, in Numbers 15, when it says this, these fringes on the garment, it's actually telling me these little, little, little bitty tassels on the corners. The Hebrew word is tzitzit. Everybody say tzitzit. Spelled T-zit-zit. So if you're, if you're a teenager, that's like a curse from God. That's a double zit. Zit-zit. But tzitzit. And it actually means the tassel. And there's five knots that represent Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And as they pray, they would actually feel each knot and thank God for his word and his commandments. It's supposed to represent 613 knots with all these knots representing all 613 commandments of God in the law. And they, they would hold this. So this, this word tzitzi is the fringe of the garment. And it also means the word on the corners, the borders, these little ends that have these scriptures on them, is the word kanaf. Everybody say kanaf. Kanaf is a word that means corners or border, but also wings, because what's this look like? Wings. And so when every Jew from this scripture on through Jesus' time, every God-fearing, law-abiding Jew would have a prayer shawl underneath their cloak and their garments. And so Jesus, they had his, and you see where it's hanging. It'd be hanging down by his feet. He's probably not six foot three, so it's probably right next to his shoes. 
And so when the woman grabs, she's actually grabbing down low. And so this prayer shawl would be what Jesus would wear. And so these wings, what they talk about in Scripture, your prayer closet, Jews would actually, when they'd pray, they'd actually cover themselves with the prayer shawl, which would then be their prayer closet. So it wasn't very uncommon if you were in Jerusalem. You'd see somebody sitting down, covered up in a prayer shawl. That was their prayer closet. In a highly dense population, there wasn't room to build a closet in your house just to pray in. And so this law is what Jesus would have had on. But if you go to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, it says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings, and shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. That word wings is the word kanaf, which is the same corner. So you could really say it, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, which is prophetic language, meaning the son, S-O-N, of righteousness, which is the son of God, shall rise with healing in his kanaf. And so every Hebrew who would ever read Malachi 4.2, they would not think of wings of a bird. They would hear the word kanaf and think of their prayer shawl. So when this woman with the issue of blood read Malachi 4.2, she would say, but for I, for me who fear his name, when the Messiah comes, he will have healing in his kanaf, in the corner of his prayer shawl, and I shall go out leaping like a calf from the stall. When she read that, the language for her is when, when the Messiah comes, there will be healing in his seat And so she had the scripture on her heart, and then you get to Luke chapter 8, and she came up from behind him and touched the fringe or the seatzy of his kanaf, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. So to go back through, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to put seatzy on the corners of their kanaf or seatzy on the kanafs of their garments throughout their generations, then you go to Malachi 4.2, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness or the Messiah shall come and bring healing in his kanaf or his seatzy, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Luke chapter 8, there's one woman in all the area who actually read Malachi 4.2, probably because it's part of her daily reading plan, says she came up from behind him and touched the seatzy of his kanaf, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. So there was something that was going on that all the other people in the crowd who were pressing against Jesus, who were pressing against the, the crowd that was swarming in on him, one person activated something that brought healing to her body. Jesus says, whoa, whoa, who, who touched me? Peter's like, Jesus, there's people everywhere, and they're all pressing up against you. What do you mean? He said, no, 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 somebody touched me differently. Now, now what's ironic is she didn't actually touch Jesus. She only touched his seatzy. He says, somebody touched me, for power flowed out of me. And they said, well, who is it? And they're asking, who touched Jesus? Who touched Jesus? Who touched Jesus? You have this little woman with the issue of blood who was scared to death for her life, who shouldn't be in the crowd, who shouldn't be there, who's ashamed of who she is. She said, sir, 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 it's me. 
And what Jesus is really saying is, I want to know who touched me because somebody believes I'm the son of righteousness in this place. Somebody believes I am the Messiah. Somebody believes I'm the son of God. Somebody believes I'm sent here from heaven to earth. Out of all these people who want teaching and ministry and healing, one person believes Malachi 4.2 and believes I am this son. He didn't say, hey, darling, I've healed you. He doesn't say, sweetheart, I know you've had a hard life. You came to the Messiah, and I touched you, I made you whole. He says, no, darling, your faith, your faith has made you well. Now go. See, I think we over-spiritualize if I could just get to Jesus, if Jesus here and I could touch Jesus. No, no. Her faith made her whole. Her faith made her whole. Not just her faith in healing, but the fact that this scripture, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall come and rise with healing in its wings and she shall go out leaping like calves over the stall. She believed that scripture and believed it was fulfilled in Jesus and she thought if I can just touch where that healing is, I'll get what I need. See, the principle is you gotta hear the word or read it. You have to activate the word and then you get to experience the word. She heard Malachi 4.2. She went and touched Malachi 4.2 and then she experienced Malachi 4.2. She heard it, she activated it, she experienced it. She heard it, she activated it, she experienced it. Out of all the people in the crowd, only one person, out of all the people, only one person got the healing. And when you read scripture over and over and over again, there's crowds of people, but the stories we know aren't about the crowds, they're about the one or two people that activated their faith and received what Jesus came from heaven to earth to give them. And so when you see in crowds of people how some people receive and some people don't, it's because some hear the word and they leave it there, but some hear the word and then they activate the word. And when they activate the word, they experience the fullness of the word. See, that is faith. Faith is when you take something from God, you activate it, and then you experience it in the same exact way. Your faith is just like a debit card. You can have it, but until you activate it, it's bankrupt bankrupt. And so to activate your faith, just like this woman, one, you need to hear the word of God, you need to activate the word of God, you need to experience it. Well, pastor, how do I activate the word of God? Well, many times you activate your, the word of God through a point, or activate your faith through a point of contact. You say, well, pastor, what's a point of contact? This is old Oral Roberts teaching. A point of contact is this. It's an action you take in response to God's word or promises that releases or activates your faith to receive that. So God's word goes forth. I take an action in response to that word, and then it focuses my faith on God and what God has promised enough that it focuses my faith enough to connect me to what God promised to receive it. So God's word goes, goes forth. I take a step or an action to activate that or to respond to that, so that my faith is focused on what God promised. One of the downfalls of the American church is we hear the word, but we never respond to it. Kim Cloud, who's been an evangelist here for years, said one of the, one of the most difficult things for pastor's kids is this. He said they're overexposed to the words of God and under-responsive. And that is the, the formula 
for a hardened heart. To hear the word, 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 and not respond hardens the heart. The word of God is designed to be heard and responded to. Heard and responded to. Heard and responded to. Heard and responded to. But we are so accustomed to sitting on a pew and hearing the word that we no longer respond. And when you don't respond, you don't activate. We don't activate, you don't receive. Or Robert said this way, point of contact is something you do. And when you do it, you release your faith to God. Something you Many of us think that well, no, faith is just, it's all God. No, no, no. Every miracle in the Bible, God promises something and expects man or woman to do something. Every single miracle of God. Whether that, hey, I'll give you victory, but you better praise me first. Or, hey, you want, me to, you want to do this? Bring me the pots, and then I'll pour the oil out. Every miracle of God. David, you, we're going to kill Goliath, but I need you to throw the stone. Every, God is a tactile God. He's a tangible God. He's in heaven. We're on earth. When he releases something from heaven, he expects us to release something here on earth in order to validate the promises of God. And James, James said it this way. In the NLT verse, it says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I love the way the NLT says it. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Tony Evans said, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. If your faith is not action-oriented, then it's not actually faith. Because faith is a verb that I trust God enough that I'm moving, I'm responding, I'm obeying, I'm activating what God said to me so then I can experience Faith is not sitting back just hoping God comes through. Faith is moving when God says to move. It's hearing the word, activating the word, and experiencing the word. Touch your neighbor and say, hear the word. Touch your other neighbor and say, activate it. Then touch your other neighbor and say, experience it. Some of you have been frustrated with God because you have been using your faith debit card in prayer. And you're frustrated because you don't feel like God has been answering your prayers. I've been praying, Pastor. I've been praying, Pastor. I've been praying, Pastor. And, and I believe you. But maybe it's time to activate your debit card. Maybe it's time to activate your faith. Well, Pastor, Pastor, I've been, I've been praying for healing. I've been praying for healing for you know, six months, and I didn't see anything come through. Well, have you actually asked, came forward to ask the elders or lay hands on you and pray for you? Well, Pastor, I've been praying for God to take this new job, give me a new job, but I'm still the same job, and I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this. And you're doing yeah, but have you taken the step of faith that he gave you to take last time? See, faith always comes with a commandment. And when you don't obey the commandment, you get stuck in an area of dead faith. And so today, I just want to give you four quick actions to activate your faith from Scripture that I believe if you activate your faith, you'll see the reaction or the experience of God's word in your life. Number one is this. Activate your faith by being obedient. Everybody say obedient. Obedient to God's word. Right? I can't activate my faith if I'm not responsive to what God has already told me to do. Right? If I'm not, I'm disobedient, meaning I'm walking in doubt or fear instead of faith. And so how do you activate your faith? Be obedient to what God has already told you to do. Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when God called him out to go to a place he didn't know. By faith, he obeyed. Faith is connected to obedience. In the story in 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman is this king. He has leprosy, which again puts him in a similar situation like the woman with the issue of blood. With leprosy, he had to be outside of the, the camp or outside of the city until he was healed of the leprosy. 
he came with, with some of his guys that came to Elisha. They said, hey, you know, he's got leprosy. Can you just lay your hands on him and pray for him so he can be healed? Elijah said, well, I could do that. But he said, well, I think you need to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. Right, so this is Elijah telling a king who could kill him at any moment. He says, I think you need to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. Basically saying, bro, you stink. You need a bath. I could lay hands on you, but I don't want to because you stink. You just go take a bath seven times, and then God will take care of what he needs to take care of. Naaman gets mad. He goes, I have better rivers in my country. Why would I come to your nasty little Jordan River? I thought you were going to wave your hand over me and heal me of leprosy. I've heard all these great things about you. And you tell me to go wash the Jordan River? And one of Naaman's servants said, but sir, like if he would have told you to do something complicated, you would have done it. If he had told you to travel the world and find some herb or spice somewhere across the country, you would have done that. But he told you to do something simple and you're frustrated about that. How many times are we frustrated with God? Because he asked us to do something simple when he expected it to be difficult. Naaman goes, washes the Jordan River seven times. He's cured of his leprosy. What happened was Naaman heard the word, go wash the Jordan River seven times. He activates the word or activates his faith. He goes to the Jordan River and washes seven times. Not four times, not five times, not six, but washes seven times. And then he experiences the fullness of the promise of God's word, which is healing. See, obedience activates God's promises in your life. See, uh, Bonhoeffer said, faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in an act of obedience. See, when God tells you something, the longer it takes you to actually obey that is the amount of time it takes you to activate your debit card. You're swiping and swiping and swiping and swiping and swiping and swiping, and you get mad at God. God promised me this. God is not faithful. No, it's not that God's not faithful. It's just we're not obedient. It's like there's an acrobat in the early or late 1800s, Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was this tightrope artist known all over the world. And there's this promoter in New York who wanted to bring him to Niagara Falls to get him to, to tightrope across Niagara Falls, 160 feet. Go from America to Canada and Canada to America. So the promoter brought all these marching bands, all this fanfare in the late 1800s. Charles Bondit comes, and he starts walking across the tightrope. And it's easy for him. He's done a million walking across, all the way from America to Canada and back. He would do it every day. People would come back every day paying money for tickets. One time he actually had a stove, a mini stove, and made breakfast as he walked across the tightrope. He started doing it blindfolded. And the crowd would cheer. Like, and before we started, do you think I can do it? They're like, yeah, you can do it. You've done it all. He'd go across and go back. Then he rode a bicycle across and a bicycle back. Do you think I can do it again? And they're shouting and cheering. He walks across backwards, blindfolded, and forward, back. He said, do you think I can do it again? He said, yeah, he gets a wheelbarrow, which is the world's worst invention. He says, do you think I can push the wheelbarrow? And they're like, yeah, we've seen you take a stove and a bicycle and backwards and blindfolded. We believe you can do it. He said, do you really believe I can do it? The crowd says, yes, we believe you can do it. He says, no, do you believe I can do it? The crowd says, yes. He asked the promoter. He said, do you believe I can do it? He said, yes, I believe. He said, did you get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> if we're really honest, that's a, a lot of like what church is like. 
A lot of fanfare, a lot of celebration, the pastors preaching, the worship team were saying, God, you can do anything. You're a firm foundation. Even when the storms come, it doesn't shake me because I'm built on you. We're saying, God, we believe you can do it. God, we believe you can do it. Then God says, hey, why don't you obey me? You activate your faith with obedience, not just with praise and worship. Number two is you activate your faith, faith by speaking God's word. By speaking God's word, your words have the ability to activate faith or to activate doubt. They can activate faith in God or doubt in God. They can activate faith in what God has promised or doubt in God's promise. Your words are containers. They're always full of something. Do not finish the sentence. They're always full of something. Words are never empty. You will never find an empty word. They're full of faith or they're full of everything else. They're full of faith or full of doubt. They're full of faith or they're full of fear. They're full of faith or they're full of, full of word. They're full of God's promises or they're full of every other thing the world is saying to you. Every word is full of something. And so when you activate your faith, you activate your faith by speaking God's word, not your circumstances. In 2 Corinthians 4.13 it says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. I want you to say, I believed, so I spoke. My belief and my mouth are connected. I can't believe one thing and say another. I can't say one thing and believe something different. Your belief and your mouth are connected. If you don't believe me, Romans 10 literally says you start salvation with the Scripture. When you believe something, you should say something. Romans 9, 10, 9 and 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Your belief and your mouth are connected. So how can I tell the church is full of dead faith? Because our mouths speak the complete opposite of God's word. You know, believe me, turn on social media. I see more Christians now provoking fear of conspiracy theories than they do the promises of God. Do I believe there's bad stuff in the world? Yes. But I don't think me speaking the bad. If you just want to do a great study, just read the culture of Jerusalem in the Middle East when Jesus was alive. Homosexuality was rampant. Slavery was rampant. Greed was rampant. Social injustices were rampant. All these things were rampant. Now, Jesus addressed them, but you didn't see Jesus say, man, I'm glad I came to save y'all from this. This is the work. I come from heaven. Look at it. You, you don't see him addressing any of that stuff. Why? He didn't come to talk about the darkness. He came to bring the light. He didn't come to say, oh, Lord. No, he said, this is what the kingdom is like. See, when it's dark, I don't have to talk about how dark it is. You already know. But you talk about how light it can be. It provokes somebody to faith. And so you activate your faith by what you speak out of your mouth. Even in Mark 11, he says, as they passed in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse is withered. And Jesus answered, have faith in God. Everybody say, have faith. He says, have faith. He says, truly, I say to you, whoever says 
to this mountain. Whoever say, says, have faith and then say something, have faith and speak something, be taken up and thrown in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, what you say, what you speak, confess out of your mouth, believe your faith that you received it and it will be yours. Like it is impossible. And I'm not a name it, claim it guy. I'm just saying there's a connection between your faith and your mouth that if you're not careful, you will actually deactivate your faith. Proverbs 18, 21, we've all heard it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits thereof you got to pay attention to the words you're speaking because they're creating the life you will live even jesus says two or three touch and agree and say amen that word amen amen in hebrew and we spiritualize it when you say amen all you're really saying is let it be so or i agree with what you just said so we say prayer and you say amen you're saying i agree with that i believe that i put my faith in that so what I, I need us to realize is you need to be very careful about what you say amen to. I remember years ago, I was just new on uh, staff at this church. We had this guy sitting the kind of far side. He would try to finish all the pastor's sentences. Like pastor be preaching, and I remember one time he's preaching, and the guy's starting to try, he's like, he's really loud, a voice. He's like, whoa, no, that, that, that is not even close to what I was about to say. And he would say amen to stuff. We've all been in churches where the pastor's like, you know, the devil, you know, the devil's got some power. He's been acting up. People are like, amen, amen. It's like, no, 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 don't say amen to that. And see, some of y'all have been saying amen. When you click a like on Facebook, you're saying amen. When you click a like or a heart on Instagram, you're saying amen. And some of us have been agreeing with the wrong things. There is power in your agreement that works towards faith but also works towards everything else. Be very careful. Activate your faith by speaking God's word. Number three, activate your faith by making a sacrifice in response to God's promises. Whether it's sowing a seed, whether it's an offering, whatever it may be. Making some type of movement in response to God's word. Judges chapter 6, one of my first scriptures, first sermon to ever preach at chapel. Judges chapter 6, Gideon is this young man out of the smallest tribe of Israel. God shows up. Gideon's literally sitting in a, in a wine press, which is a hole in the ground. Scared to death, he's literally making his last meal to exempt die. The Midianites have taken over Israel, taken over the promises of God. God shows up. Gideon's in this hole in the ground. And he says, hey, Gideon, you mighty Man of God, valiant warrior, depending on the translation that you have. You valiant warrior. And Gideon's like, who, me? You know, granted, he's not a warrior. He's literally a chef in a hole in the ground, scared because he's about to get killed. He says, what do you mean? He says, you're, you're going to deliver the Hebrews from the Midianites by a single hand. He's like, me, I'm of the smallest tribe of Israel. He said, every time we grow crops, the Midianites come and take them away. Every time we get success, the Midianites come and wipe us out. We can't be successful. He said, no, I'm going to do it through you. And Gideon's arguing with God about this promise that God just gave him. And all of a sudden, he said, well, God, if this is truly you, I want you to stay right here. He goes into the house. He gets a meal prepared. He comes and makes a sacrifice of a goat to God in this scripture. And it says as soon as he started the sacrifice, he realized it was God, and he said, the Lord is peace. See, God had given him the promise, given him the word, but when he made the sacrifice, he activated the word, 
And then he experienced the peace of God. He goes from being in a hole in the ground, anxious and depressed and suicidal, hearing the word, making a sacrifice, to then saying, not the Lord gives me peace, the Lord is my peace. See, there's something about when you put an action or a point of contact that activates the word of God in your life. Number four is this, activate your faith by taking the next step forward in your faith. The next step forward, Hebrews eleven eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going. When God called Abraham, he had no clue where he'd end up. He had no clue where he was journeying. But by faith, he took the step not knowing where it was going to lead to. Dr. King said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. And so I activate, if God gives me a promise for Abraham of this incredible promised land, this incredible generations, he can't just sit and wait for it. He has to take the first step even if he doesn't know where it's leading to. In the book of Matthew, Peter's in the boat. Jesus comes out. There's a storm at sea in the middle of the night. They think he's a ghost. Jesus is walking on the water. But Jesus isn't the only one that walks on water. The disciples who are scared, they see Jesus. He said, don't be afraid, it's me. And they said, well, if it's really you, Jesus, is what Peter said. If it's really you, tell me to come out there. Jesus gives his word, Peter, come out. Peter, come on out here. Now, granted, they're sitting in you know, the, the pool. This is a rocky, wavy, stormy sea. Peter takes a step out of the boat and begins to walk on water. Why? He heard the words of Jesus. He activates the words of Jesus by taking a step forward, even though he didn't know what's going to happen. And then he receives the miracle or activates the miracle of actually walking water. The weird thing about it, there's 11 other disciples who did not walk on the water. There's, in every story of the Bible, there's activation. We talk about the laying on of hands, on, on touch points, the prayer cloths and handkerchiefs in the book of Acts. All these things are nothing more than points of contact to activate your faith, which is an action you take in response to God's word to focus your faith on God and his abilities. It just narrows your focus down. Because your body and your faith are eerily connected. There's something about when I believe something, me stepping physically into something that seals it and activates it throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, over and over and over again. In my prayer for everyone in this room, you know, the first we talk about the mountains that you face, whether it's healing in your body, whether it's sickness in your body, whether it's family stuff, whether it's job stuff, provision stuff, there's stuff in your life that to you is an obstacle in your way. And you've been praying, maybe all month, maybe you're praying all year, maybe you've been praying for years previously. It's time to activate your faith because you can be one of the people in the crowd or you can be somebody who activates it. And you activate it by a point of contact. Taking an action to respond to God's word that focuses your faith. So I want you to just right now stand to your feet all over this place.
And I don't know what your mountain is you need moved. Well, our prayer today is that you see it begin to move. Not from hope, but from faith that's activated. You know, I know a lot of people in this room have different church backgrounds or denominations or whatever it may be. You may wonder about altar calls and stuff like Wednesday night we had a, a, a big deliverance altar call. What are those? Those are points of contact to activate people's faith. That's why some people receive and some people don't. So this morning, if you're, you're praying for a promise of God to be fulfilled in your life, if you're praying for a mountain to be moved in your life, I believe there's a point of contact you need to see your faith focused. Even this one with the issue of blood, she just thought, if I can get to that tassel, if I can just touch that fringe, God's going to heal me. For others, if it's just you know, Zechariah, Zacchaeus, all these people in the Bible, Zacchaeus is like, if I can just see Jesus, it will change me. And he climbed in a tree so he could see Jesus. I don't know what your point of contact is, but I think today what it is going to be is to physically move from your pew to up front. You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't know about that. I grew up Southern Baptist. I, I don't know about the woman with the issue of blood. She may have been Southern Baptist. I don't, I don't know. She may have been Church of Christ. She may be Catholic. I don't know. But she didn't really care. Because she pushed back religious tradition and rituals and rules and regulations to get to her place of point of contact. This will be different for you. This is what I believe God is telling our church. It's time to not just listen to the word. It's time to start actively responding to God's word. So that's you. You say, no, that's me. I've been listening to God's word. I need to activate my faith. I need to dial up that 1-800 number. Call the bank so they say, your debit card is now activated. That's you. I just want you to come forward right now. Just come forward and fill up the front. start thinking it's the man of God that has power. You know, it's that, that preacher that has power. No, Jesus didn't even say that. He said, your faith has made you whole. Your faith. This is just a point of contact. A prayer cloth doesn't have power. It's just a point of contact. Laying out of hands doesn't have power. It's just a point of contact. Taking a step out of your pew to come up front isn't what heals you. It's just a point of contact. So what we're going to do is I'm going to have some of our staff in the room, some of our elders, just simply just lay hands on you. As a point of context, you can remember this moment that, hey, this is the moment I, I needed God. I needed God to move, and I stepped out and I activated my faith. Everybody else is going to go back into just one song of worship. So just lift your hands towards heaven. Father, we thank you in this place that you give each and every one of us a measure of faith. Enough faith for the duty at hand or the task at hand or the mission in front of us. 
But Father, right now we pray for the measure of faith that is within us to be activated to receive what you've already promised us. Father, whether that's healing in our body, whether it's provision in our household, whether it's unity or forgiveness in our household, whether that's prodigal sons or daughters coming home, Father, whether that's ministry and purpose being birthed in or through us, Father, we just pray right now, Father, whether that's infillings of the Holy Spirit, Father, we pray right now for faith to be activated and for your people to receive everything you promised them in Jesus' mighty, holy name.